Welcome to our sermon podcast here at City of Light Anglican Church. We are a new church in Aurora, Illinois, finding a new day in Jesus. We want to see the light of Jesus rise and shine in our hearts, in our homes, and in our neighborhoods. Thanks for joining us for today's message from Father Trevor. So it's Sunday morning. We're all here. Why? Why are we here? What are we doing? Uh, What do we mean when we say, I'm going to church, or I went to church on Sunday? Maybe you would say, uh, we come here, you find community, and you build relationships, or go to church to feel encouraged, to be connected to God and to others. You feel like you've done something good or something that you're supposed to do. Maybe you feel you would answer that question, because my spouse likes to be here and I want to support them, or because I think it's important for my kids to have church and I want to do that for us as a family, or maybe it's just because you always have and this is just kind of what you do on Sundays. And when we gather together for church, we call it a worship service. When we talk about a service, it's not like a service project or like serving we're talking about rendering service. We're talking about this old kind of meaning of the word of, of worship. What is worship? That's what this morning I want to talk about from this passage from Romans. I want to talk about uh, a theology of worship or uh, what we believe about worship, what, what it is and why it matters. And then I want to talk about how we practice that together as a church in our Sunday morning services and then in our household worship together. Just those two things, the belief and practice of worship. And uh, to help us, we've got our Romans 12 passage that Corey read for us. Um, But I also brought another book to help us, and this is a book that my family and kids have read a lot. It's The the Very Hungry Caterpillar by Eric Carle. So with these two seminal texts, we're going to look at the meaning of worship. And I don't think that Eric Carl and the Apostle Paul knew one another, but if they, they had been alive at the same time, I think they would have done like a joint release, you know, like a, a packaging deal together with Romans and with this book, because this is actually a book about worship. I don't know if you knew that. This is a book about worship. And if you're, if you're not familiar with this uh, work of literature, um, it's about a hungry caterpillar, and he eats, and he eats, and he eats, and he eats, every day he eats. And then at the very end, he does what caterpillars do. He goes into his cocoon, and then on the last page, he turns into a beautiful butterfly. And I read this to Gus, and I don't know how much of the story he understands as a 16-month-old, but um, when Nora and Finn read it to him, they love to try to tell him the word metamorphosis, right? Metamorphosis, We, we, we know that word. It's actually a Bible word. It's a Bible word. It's used three times in the New Testament. Metamorphosis. It's usually translated as transformed or transfigured, but the root word is uh, where we get the word metamorphosis from. The first time it's used is when Jesus goes up a mountain and he's there praying with his disciples, and all of a sudden he is metamorphosed. He is transfigured. 
and we see the light and the glory of who he is as the Son of God shining through. And it teaches us something about the word metamorphosis because it's a change that comes from an inner reality. And so Jesus has always had this light. He's always had this glory. It's who he is. It's who his character, his nature is. But now it's revealed. And his disciples see him. They see the glory of his face. And they fall down and they worship him. It's the first time it's used. And the second time it's used is the passage we read in Romans 12. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship or your service to God. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. Be transformed. Now, whenever we read in the Bible a therefore, one of my mentors always said, you've got to ask what it's there for because it's this hinge moment. It's this important transition in thought. And what we get in the book of Romans is 11 chapters of the Apostle Paul talking about the gospel of God, where he has come in Jesus to set things right, to save the world, to bring forgiveness of sins and reconciliation with us and God. But then he spends a lot of time talking about reconciliation between the Greeks and the Jews, between us as people. And he talks about the glories and wonders of God. And then he says, therefore, in light of the great gospel of God giving himself completely to us, Give yourself completely to him. That's what your worship is. Giving of yourself to God. When we see God giving himself to us, we can give ourselves to him. And so we get this meaning of metamorphosis again. It's this, it's this outside change that matches what's happening on the inside. We've been reconciled to God. There's been this fundamental change in who we are and our relation to God, and it, it flows out. It's changing an outer form, but keeping an inner reality. It's an internal change that spreads dramatically out through our entire being, like the caterpillar into the butterfly. He contrasts it with the word uh, conformed. Don't be conformed, be transformed. And that word conformed has to do not with an inner reality, but with an outer pressure with some outer pressure that's pushing in on you, trying to, trying to make you into something from the outside. And so he talks about it as the outer world. And so it could be uh, cultures that are sinful and broken, but you can have that same pressure to conform, whether it's from a secular culture, whether it's from religious expectation. It's just an external reality saying, do this, be this, act like this, say this, talk like this, look like this. It's an outer conforming and says don't be conformed whereas transformation is an inward reality that works outward conforming is an outward pressure that presses us into a mold but doesn't change us on the inside transformation metamorphosis and then the third time it's mentioned it's also by Paul it's in 2 Corinthians 2 chapter 3, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, and we, with unveiled faces, 
behold the glory of the Lord and are being transformed, being metamorphosed, into the same image from one degree of glory to another. This comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. I think when Paul's writing that, he has in mind both Jesus' transfiguration and Moses. When Moses goes up on a mountain and sees Jesus face to face, he references Moses um, specifically with an unveiled face. We see Jesus face to face. We see his glory, and something unexpected happens. We don't wither and perish when we see the light and the glory of God. We are changed to look like it. We're changed to reflect it. It says degree by degree, bit by bit. When we see the light of Jesus, the light of Jesus comes to us. When we are face to face with Jesus, when we are with him, we are changed to be more like him. I don't think we grasp how insane this is. Paul is saying that we share in the glory of Jesus. We reflect the glory of Jesus. He's saying that you are being glorified. Now that feels, I mean, we're good at being prideful, but like that feels like maybe a bit much, right? C.S. Lewis has this quote in an essay he writes called The Weight of Glory that says, if we knew, if we saw ourselves now glorified the way God's going to glorify us, then even the most uninteresting, boring person, if we saw them in their full glory, we would fall down on our faces and be tempted to worship them. That's our future. And we're on our way, degree by degree, little by little. God's glorifying us. He became like us so that we could become like him, like, a, like him in his divinity like him in his glory. How does it happen? Being with him, seeing him face to face, worshiping him, giving ourselves completely to him as he's given himself completely to, be, to us, that changes us. And that gets us to the second part of the definition of metamorphosis. The first part is a, an outer change that comes from an inner reality, but the second part is a, changed, a change by being with. Metamorphosis, a change by being with. How does this change happen? By being with Jesus. A change by being with, not by being good. We don't grow to look more like Jesus by just being good. Not by doing good. We don't grow to look more like Jesus just by doing good. an inside transformation that works its way out that comes by being with Jesus. Are you tired of a Christian life that's just trying to be good or do good? Jesus says, come unto me, all you who are weary, and I'll give you a rest. Take my yoke upon you. My burden is easy. My yoke is light. It's just with him. It's in him. When you're with Jesus, you start to look like him. He does it. 
looking in the face of Jesus, giving ourselves wholly to the one who gave himself wholly to us, being transformed by him to look more like him. We're changed not by our own actions, but by the presence of Jesus. When we talk about the presence of Jesus, we're talking about a, a withness. We're talking about being with Jesus, him with us, us with him. The Very Hungry Caterpillar is a book about worship, and it teaches us where we find the presence of Jesus. And it uses a biblical metaphor for that, the metaphor of feasting. Because you and I were made to feast on the presence of Jesus. And so the Very Hungry Caterpillar eats day by day. He starts with one apple the first day, and two pears the next day, and then three plums, and then four strawberries, and then five oranges. But what happens on Saturday? Saturday is not a good day because on Saturday he eats chocolate cake and ice cream, and I think that's a pickle. I'm reading upside down. And Swiss cheese and salami and one lollipop and one piece of cherry pie and one sausage and one cupcake and one watermelon. And that night he had a very sick stomach. He's eaten some things that aren't good for him, hasn't he? But then he gets back and he eats something healthy and then he's metamorphosed. He's transformed. Jesus gives himself to us. He gives his presence to us day by day in his word, at his table, and through his body. We feast on his presence there. We were made to feast on his presence. We were made to worship him. We were made to give ourselves to something greater than ourselves. The writer David Foster Wallace, uh, in his famous 2005 Kenyan College commencement address, he says this, and he's, he's not a believer, he's a secular uh, humanist. He says, in uh, adult life, there's actually no such thing as atheism. There's no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. He says, the only choice we get is what to worship. He says, the compelling reason, maybe, for choosing some sort of God is that pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. If you worship money and things, if they are where you tap real meaning in life, then you'll never have enough, never feel that you are enough. It's the truth. Worship your body and beauty and sexual allure, and you will always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before they finally grieve you. We all are made to worship. We all are made to give ourselves to something. We can give ourselves to the food we were made for, that is the presence of Jesus and his word and table and body. We can give ourselves to other things, and we can end up like the caterpillar with a sick stomach that night. We were made by a God who gave himself for us to give ourselves to him. When we give ourselves to other things, they're called idols. That's the biblical metaphor when you worship something other than the Lord. You worship an idol, whatever that might be. The uh, Eastern Orthodox theologian, Alexander Shmeiman, he said, he's quoting someone else who says, you are what you eat. And Shmeiman essentially says, eat Jesus. 
You are what you eat. So eat Jesus and become like Jesus. When we're with him, feasting on his presence, we become like him. He transforms us. That's worship. It's in worship that we're transformed to be like the one we worship. We don't transform ourselves. We don't simply conform or modify behaviors or try to work up the right feelings or emotions. We're not trying to win God's favor by being good or doing good. What do we do? We offer ourselves. That's what Paul says in Romans 12 is our act of worship. It says, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. What's the image here? It's the image of an altar, right? Jesus offers himself on the altar of the cross. He gives his entire body and life and everything he has. He offers it to God. That's his sacrifice. And so Paul says, how do you respond to God giving himself to you? Well, you do the same thing. You give yourself to God. It's a picture of lying down on the altar, being crucified with Christ. It's a complete giving of ourselves, giving ourselves wholly, completely to God. It's submission. It's death to self. It's allegiance. And he says, that's your acceptable worship. That's what God accepts. That's what he wants, which is great news because it means that every single person has exactly what God is asking for. You. Nothing more than you. And nothing less than you. All of you. Offer yourselves as a living sacrifice. Worship is this daily moment-by-moment experience of being with Jesus, of first receiving his gift of himself to us, and then being transformed so that we can give ourselves to him. He makes us look like him so that then we can give ourselves to others. You can't Give yourself to others before you've given yourself to the Lord. You will empty out. You can't render service to someone else until you've rendered service to God. You want to live a sacrificial life? Starts by sacrificing yourself to the Lord so that he can make you into a person who can give your life. He gives himself to us. We learn to give ourselves to him, being transformed into a people that shine with the self-giving glory of God. When we gather on Sundays, that's what we do. Nothing less than offering ourselves entirely as a sacrifice to God. Nothing less than saying again, Another week, another day, another moment, I'm yours, Lord. I want to be with you and change me to be more like you. That's what we do when we gather on Sundays. And what we 
do, the actual actions that we take in our service, it really matters because it's either teaching us to be worshipers of God, it's either forming us to be worshipers, or it's leaving us unformed or even malformed. And for centuries, the church has had this way of worship that's meant to form us into worshipers of Jesus, to teach us how to give ourselves wholly to him. To love him with all of your heart, all of your mind, all of your soul, all of your strength. Be read. So I want to talk about the order of our service and our liturgy here as a church. We have these liturgy cards, and the word liturgy, just, it just means two things. You can think about it just as the order of our service, what we do when we come together. But that word actually has a, a deeper meaning, and it, it, it means, if you take it literally, the work of the people, which says something really beautiful about what we were made for. We were made to worship. And we as a church, our job, I mean, you might work in an office, you might work at a factory, you might work at a school, you might work from home. Your job is worship. Your job is the giving of yourself to the Lord and being transformed to look more like him. And I love how it says the work of the people. It's not the work of a couple persons on stage. It's the work of the people. It's all of us together. It's something we all come to do. We all come to give ourselves wholly. We all come to sacrifice ourselves. And we do it together. And so our liturgy together is a work together as the body of Jesus. It's a participation. That's a calling. Now, all churches have a liturgy. They might not call it a liturgy. They might call it their order. They might call it their flow. They might call it whatever. Um, but every church is a liturgy. The question is not whether you have one, but is it any good? The question is not if you have a liturgy, but what, what is your liturgy shaping you to be? That's the question. How is it forming you? And what we see and what we inherit from the great tradition of the church is a liturgy that brings us into the story of the gospel to meet the presence of Jesus and to give ourselves wholly to God. That's the opportunity that it offers us every single week and that it's been offering believers every week for centuries. Now, your liturgy could be a performance about God that's entertaining or it could be about the presence of God that's transforming. Your liturgy could be a novelty that attracts or a tradition that endures. And the liturgy of the church is measured by the worshipers it creates and forms. Now, the liturgy we have here, uh, I'm going to talk about it in a few different ways. The first way is the two parts of our liturgy. We are a word and sacrament church, a word and table. Those are the two movements of our liturgy on Sunday. If you are a, an artsy sort of person, a kind of a theater-going sort of person, then you can think about this as two acts with an intermission. 
But if you're more of an athletic sports sort of person, then uh, you can think about this as uh, two halves with halftime, a halftime show. All right? And so uh, our prayer card illustrates this. This first side is our first half, our first act. It's the word. It even says that, the word of God. Word where we meet God by gathering around his word, where we experience his presence in his word. And then the second half on the back, Holy Communion, the table. This is where we meet God at his table. These are, if you imagine a tent, our tent has two poles, two tent posts, word and table, word and table, word and table. And we saw that when we looked at the book of Acts um, in chapter 2 a couple weeks ago, and we said, oh, the earliest Christians, they devoted themselves to the word and the prayers from Jewish synagogue worship, and then they devoted themselves to the breaking of the bread. From, from, from the very beginning, from the New Testament, their worship had these two parts, word and table, word and table. And why? Because we meet Jesus there. This is where we experience Jesus' presence. This is where we see Jesus face to face. We see him giving himself for us, and we can give ourselves to him. Luke 24 is a great illustration of this. You'll find this um, theme of word and table throughout the New Testament, throughout the whole scriptures, but they're both side by side in Luke 24 in a really beautiful way. So Jesus is walking, and he joins these two disciples on the road to Emmaus. And they don't recognize Jesus. Jesus is resurrected. They don't recognize him. And he starts telling them how all the law and the prophets point to him. He's, he's opening up the scriptures. He's probably quoting large sections of the scriptures to them. And then he's explaining what they mean. And then they get to their house and he has a meal with them. And it's uh, a Passover-like meal. And he breaks the bread. And when he breaks the bread... They recognize Jesus. They see him. And they can't believe it. They run all the way back to Jerusalem where they had just spent all day walking from. They probably got there like the next morning. And they say to the rest of the disciples, when he spoke to us about himself out of scriptures, the word didn't our hearts burn within them. We experience his presence. And then he was made known to us in the breaking of the bread. Twice they repeat that phrase. He was made known to us in the breaking of the bread. When we come to the table and when we experience communion, we experience the presence of Jesus. He's made known to us. We see him face to face. And we don't know exactly how that happens. It's a mystery. But we believe that when we come to this table, we're experiencing the tangible presence of Jesus. And it changes us when we give ourselves to him. It's really beautiful to look throughout the history of the church and to look through multiple other traditions of the church today and to see them worshiping around word and table. I was reading um, this morning through uh, Justin Martyr, he wrote uh, a history of the year 150 A.D. 150 A.D. It's about 100 years, a couple generations after the church is birthed. 
and he describes a worship service for a church. And you can follow along his description on our prayer card. Gathered together, they read from multiple scriptures. Someone stood up and explained those scriptures and encouraged them from those scriptures. Then they passed the peace. They received an offering. They gathered around the table using phrases that we still use in our liturgy today, including Jesus' words of, this is my body, this is my blood. And they distribute that communion to everyone there, and they take everything that's extra and they give it to the poor, and they send out into the world. You can follow along on our prayer card. It's 150 A.D. That's 1,850 years ago. Word and table, the worship of the church, the great tradition. Because Jesus said, and Jesus teaches us, that we meet him and see him face to face in his word and at his table. When we do that, we get the chance to give ourselves to Jesus, the one who's given himself to us. You can think about the worship of the church in so many different ways. When we journey through the church year, what are we doing? Advent, Epiphany, Lent, soon Holy Week. We're just, we're living in the story of Jesus. We're living in the gospel that God has given himself to us and that we can give ourselves to him. That's what it is. It's saying, we're going to take a year of our time and we're going to let that year be shaped not by just the seasons, not by the hallmark calendar, not just by when school is in and when it's out of session. We're going to let that year be shaped by the story of Jesus, the gospel, that God came as Jesus and gave himself for us, and we can give ourselves to him. And we're in this grand moment of the church year right now. We're about to celebrate Holy Week where for one week, day by day, we live in the gospel in real time. Why? So we are shaped by the story of Jesus giving himself to us, and so we can learn to give ourselves to him. That's what Holy Week is. It's a revival week. It's a gospel week. I hope that you're looking at your calendars Maybe it's spring break, maybe it's a normal week, maybe you've got Friday off, maybe you don't. I hope you're looking at your calendars and going, how many times can I worship this week? How can I let this week and all of the services completely shape me? How can I see Jesus more this holy week so that I look more like him, so I can give myself more to him? We do it through the church year on Sundays We also do it through our daily life. So we talk about at City of Light our Sunday worship practice, but also our household worship practice. And we have to have both. We have to have this weekly coming all together. And we also have to have this daily in our homes, connecting with the Lord and experiencing his presence and giving ourselves to him. Following Jesus is hard when you just think about doing it one time a week. It's really hard to just, for two hours, one day a week, think about giving your life to Jesus. You can't do it. 
It's really hard without that, too. You can't just, on your own each day, read through Scripture and pray by yourself and then live the Christian life. That's really hard. It's really hard to do that without coming together on Sundays. We need both. We need both. Tish Warren, in her book, um, Liturgy of the Ordinary, she, she talks about the Christian life as a pie and how sometimes we want to just give like the, the Sunday slice of the pie to the Lord, but then the other uh, six slices of the pie we just kind of do, you know, our normal life thing. And she's like, no, 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 Christian life isn't a slice. It's the whole pie. It's this daily and weekly giving of ourselves to the Lord. So much is at stake when we come to worship. In each moment, we choose who we're going to devote our life to, who we're going to give our life to. And this passage reads as both an invitation and a warning. He says, brothers and sisters, in light of God's mercy of giving himself completely to you, I urge you. I urge you. I encourage you. In our weekly worship, and our daily prayers, there's a danger of not giving ourselves to Jesus. There's a danger of reading his word but not giving ourselves to him. There's a danger of coming to the table but not giving ourselves to him. There's a danger of us all together reading our prayers and reading our things and not giving ourselves to the Lord. And when we do that, we trade metamorphosis for a masquerade. We trade transformation for just being conformed. We just put on the external trappings. We just do the right external things. We sit and kneel and stand and say our prayers. And we, do, we go through the motions, but it's just this external reality. It's not an inward reality. It's just a masquerade. We're just playing. Instead of our giving ourselves to God, we give ourselves to anything else that will help us get by. We give ourselves to other relationships, to work, to addictions, to, to drugs or alcohol, to sexual experience, to pornography, to our performance, to our children's performance, to our community service, to our sophisticated social views and ideals, to our hobbies, to our devices, to our gaming systems, to having control over a situation, to our portfolios, to our wealth, to our success, to our status, to, to anything other than the Lord. We give ourselves to those, and that's where we offer our service. That's where we offer ourselves. We don't offer ourselves to the Lord. Our hearts cling to those things and rely on those things. But Paul says, don't do that. He says, brothers and sisters, I urge you, I beg you, don't give yourself to that. Give yourself to the Lord. He's given himself to you. He wants to transform you. He wants to start on the inside. He wants to make it flower out a metamorphosis into something that reflects the glory of Jesus. If we only knew, if we could only imagine what our metamorphosis will look like. Well, we don't have to. We can look at Jesus and we can see him. We can give ourselves to him. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit.
Thanks for listening to this podcast from City of Light Anglican Church. We'd love to hear from you. You can find us online at cityoflightanglican.org. And now, may the light of Jesus scatter the darkness from before your path.